Hi listeners, and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. And in this week's episode, Indianapolis, are you ready? Because I'm coming for you. I'm going to tell you the story of Herbert Baumeister. And I don't think that he needs any other introduction, so let's just jump right into it. Herb was born in Indianapolis, Indiana. Herb was the older of four children. And from what I could see during my research, I saw that his childhood was pretty normal, but by the time he was a teen, that would change. Herb began exhibiting antisocial behavior, and Herb started playing with dead animals, and on one occasion, he even peed on a teacher's desk. And then, in a different incident, it was reported that he would put a dead crow on his teacher's desk. So, due to all these incidents, the teachers would constantly be reaching out to Herb's parents. And during this time, Herb is diagnosed with schizophrenia and multi-personality disorder, but he wouldn't receive treatment for it. In 1965, Herb attended Indiana University for a semester, and then he would drop out. But two years later, in 1967, Herb's father would force him to return to school. Herb would return and study anatomy, but he would once again drop out before the semester ended. And during this time, he met Juliana Sider. She was a high school journalist teacher and a part-time student in Indiana University. The two would hit it off and had a lot in common. They were both extremely conservative politically, and they both wanted to own their own business. So by 1971, Herb and Juliana would get married. And this is the weird part. It's not known exactly why, but around this time, Herb's father would have him committed into a mental institution where he would stay there for two months. Two months? Yeah. It's a really long time. Right. And nowhere in my research did I find the reason why. I don't even know, to be honest, if Juliana even knows what was the reason behind it but their marriage would survive and juliana and herb would go on and have three kids mary in 1979 eric in 1981 and emily in 1984 herb would have a hard time holding down a job once again just like in his childhood his co-workers would describe herb as odd just how kids described him when he was a teen. In 1985, Herb would get fired once again from another job after he peed on a letter addressed to the then governor, Robert Orr. And it was also said that while working on that same job, that he had also peed on his manager's desk. I don't see the problem. Doesn't mm. everybody do that? No. No? It's not a thing? No. <laughs> Um, because her wasn't working, he temporarily became a stay-at-home dad, and he was known to be a very loving father to his children. During this time, because her wasn't working, he began to drink a lot. 
And he started hanging out at gay bars. Wait, gay bars? That's just all of a sudden a, something different he decided to do? Well, it had been said that when he was going from job to job, remember how I said his coworkers would describe him as odd? Mm-hmm. Well, during one of his jobs, he would dress up and drag with another coworker during a Christmas party. And around that same time, there was rumors at that job circulating about Herb and about her being gay. So there was already rumors going around that he might be gay because of this, how he dressed up in drag with this co-worker and there was a picture and then I guess Herb sent it out to his co-workers. Mm-hmm. But that's around the time that this rumor started. Okay, so in 1985... Herb was charged in a hit-and-run accident while driving under the influence. Then Herb would get a job at a thrift shop. Now, Herb wasn't thrilled about this job because he thought it was beneath him. However, during this time, he would take the opportunity to focus on learning the business side of it. And in 1988, Herb borrowed $4,000 from his mother. And at that point, Herb and Juliana opened a thrift store named save a lot they sold lightly used clothes furniture and other used items the store would be a huge success the store would be so successful that within the first year they would open up their second store and after having to live paycheck to paycheck herb and juliana had money and in 1991 they would buy a 18 acre horse ranch called fox hollow farms which was in an upscale neighborhood and their home was very upscale it had all the bells and whistles including a stable and an indoor pool the baumeister family would become very well known and very well respected and it was known that they were very charitable donating to different charities and the save-a-lot stores were also well known for being clean and organized And while the stores were very well known for being clean and organized, that would not be the case for Herb and Juliana's home. The grounds of their home became overgrown with weeds, and inside the house, the rooms were a mess. However, even though the house and the outside was a mess, the only area of the house that was very well maintained and taken care of was the pool house. So Herb had a fully stocked bar, the pool house was decorated extravagantly, and along with a fully stocked bar, he also had an Jose. Are you ready for this? Yeah, this is going to be good. (laughs) What is it? Herb also decorated the pool house with mannequins that were all dressed and they were positioned in an in a way to give an appearance like it was a pool party. Oh my God, really mannequins? Yes. So you know how mannequins, like that's normal to have around your house, isn't it? I mean. That's super weird and creepy. I mean, imagine going in there late at night and there's a bunch of mannequins around. Well, yeah, no, no because the mannequins are having a pool, a pool party. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Exciting. I mean, no, I, I would do the same. 
I'm kidding. No, I wouldn't. That is very creepy. But okay, so the family was successful and now they had this million dollar semi-mansion home. Um, however, the marriage started to have its turmoils. So due to Juliana and Herb working close together, they started to drift apart. Herb would constantly yell at Juliana and treat her more and more like an employee rather than a wife. So soon after, Juliana would take a step back from the stores and Juliana and the kids would often go stay at Herb's mother's house in Lake Wawasee. And while Juliana and the kids would go to Herb's mother's, he would stay back to run the business that they had created together, or so Herb would tell Juliana. Soon after the second store opened, the business began to lose money. The store soon started to get messy, and this is when Herb's drinking really started to get out of control. Employees would say that Herb belligerently yelled at customers and employees. So I'm thinking that, you know, Herb does not believe the statement of the customer is always right if he's, you know, belligerent. Yeah, I guess if you're belligerent, <laughs> drunk, and angry, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, the customer is not always yeah. right. Anyways, during this time with the drinking getting out of control, Herb would start hanging out at gay bars more and more. And after visiting the gay bars, he would go back to the pool house and cry over the dying business and the bills that started piling up. And Juliana would notice that Herb's behavior was starting to get stranger and stranger every day. So I don't get it. Did she barely notice this? I mean, it seems like there's a lot of odd occurrences. So, okay. When I was online doing my research, I did read how Juliana was just... She was so in love with her. So I think that maybe... I don't know if it was denial... I don't think she necessarily saw it. Like she was, she was fully committed to Herb. She, she loved him. Now, while all these things were going on, there had also been several reports of gay men disappearing from the bars all over Indianapolis. At around the same time as these men are disappearing, there had been several murders in Ohio that had began in 1989 and ended in the mid-90s. Bodies had been dumped along Interstate 70 and were known as the I-70 murders in the media. And four of those victims were from Indianapolis. In 1994, the mother of 28-year-old man Alan Broussard contacted Virgil Vandegrift after her son went missing. So Virgil was a highly respected retired sheriff and had opened his own private investigation firm in Indianapolis who specialized in missing persons cases and the mother of 28 year old man Alan Broussard told Virgil that her son had gone missing after he said he was going to meet up with his partner at a popular gay bar named Brothers but she said that he never returned back home a week after Virgil hears Alan's Broussard's story Virgil gets a call from another mother looking for her son, this time a 32-year-old Roger Gullett. And his mother's story would be very similar to Alan's mother. 
Roger left his parents' house to go to a gay bar in downtown Indianapolis, but he would never return back home. And you know what's odd? It's that they're also very close in age, 28, 32. Right. So Virgil started to investigate these murders by going around town and posting missing persons posters and going to gay bars to interview workers and, you know, the usual people that are at the bar. And one witness would tell Virgil that he had seen Roger willingly get in a blue car with Ohio plates. And it didn't take long for Virgil to think that there might be a serial killer out there killing all these men. So Virgil would take his suspicions to the Indianapolis Police Department. However, police would treat this case as a low priority because police saw it as, oh, these gay men had left the area without telling their families to freely practice their gay lifestyles, which in my opinion is ridiculous. But shortly after, Virgil went to the Indianapolis Police Department and he would receive a phone call from a man named Tony who would tell Virgil that he was certain that he had spent time with the person that was responsible for the disappearance of Roger. Now remember, Roger is the second case that Virgil received after learning about Alan Broussard. So Tony explained to Virgil that he had gone to the police and the FBI with this information, but he wouldn't be listened to by them. While talking to Tony, Virgil learned that Tony had talked to a man that had introduced himself as Brian Smart at a bar. And Tony goes on to explain how Brian seemed to be so captivated by the missing poster of Roger. Now remember, Tony and Roger were friends, so Tony decided to talk to Brian see if he had any information about Roger. Tony had made a note that every time he would bring up his friend Roger to Brian, Brian would just avoid the question and avoid any conversation that had anything to do with Roger. But as the night went on, Brian would invite Tony back and he would say that he was staying at this house while doing some landscaping for some owners, and he happened to mention the owners were out of town. So Tony agrees to go back to Brian's house, and when he arrives to the house, he notices that the home is packed with furniture and boxes, and Brian just... That's kind of weird, though, but why? If he's doing landscaping, why would there be... Well, because now they're inside of the house. You know, so I guess it's one of those like, hey, you know, we're going to be out of town. You can, I don't know, I'm assuming the story was like they offered that I can stay there for free if I did some landscaping. Mm, Okay. So Brian leads Tony to the pool house. And while they're there, Tony notices something. And can you guess what it is, Jose? No, what? Mannequins. Are you kidding me? (laughs) With all the mannequins. <laughs> yeah, so he notices mannequins. And the mannequins are set up in a form like it's a party. Is her obsessed? Well, let me just say that at this point, 
if I were Tony, I would have ran for the hills. But Tony was a lot braver than me. So Brian offers Tony a drink, but Tony turns down the drink. And then he goes to say that Brian leaves the room and he comes back. And when he comes back, he's way more comfortable and way more talkative. So Tony tells Virgil how Brian and him get into the topic of asphyxiation. Hmm. And Brian would ask Tony if he wanted to try it. So Tony goes along with it and he begins to, you know, choke Brian while Brian pleasures himself. And after he's done, he looks at Tony and says, your turn. Yeah, no thanks. (laughs) Right? But when Brian starts to choke Tony, Tony immediately realizes uh, this guy is not planning on letting go. Right. So Tony, but Tony's really smart about it. He pretends to pass out, which is obviously something that I would have done. I hope all of our listeners would have done. But let me tell you something. What? There's no way I would have thought to do that. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. You need to listen to this podcast more. (laughs) So when he pretends to pass out, Brian stops choking him. So once he stops choking Tony, Tony opens up his eyes and Brian gets startled and he tells Tony that he just got scared because he saw that, you know, Tony had passed out. Yeah, more like, oh wait, I thought you were dead. (laughs) Yeah, like darn it. But anyway, so Tony ends up leaving that night, which thank God he made it out. He got lucky. Right. Yeah, I think so too. But he ends up seeing Brian again. But this time, Tony would be smart. He didn't go back home with him. Instead, he wrote down the license plate number. And he was able to give that license plate number to Virgil. So Right. So Virgil would pass the license plate number to a missing person detective in the Indianapolis Police Department. And that's how they're able to find out that Brian's smart. And I don't know if you guessed it, Jose. But Brian Smart is actually Herb Baumeister. You knew it. It was the mannequins that gave it away. Was it? No, I thought he was oh. probably just uh, two guys that are into mannequins. I would love to have a pool party with the mannequins. Just <laughs> saying. But the police would approach Herb and they would inform him that he was a suspect in the disappearance of all these men. And they decided... To just ask him, hey, can we search your house? So, of course, obviously, what did Herb do? He refused. So then the cops decided to, you know what? Let's try his wife. So the cops went to Juliana. And they went with her with this information of these men that had gone missing. And how they thought that Herb was the suspect. And they requested her permission to search the house in hopes that maybe... She would allow it, but she wouldn't. At least not at that time. But by 1996, Juliana had become very frightened by her husband's mood swings and his erratic behavior, and she would end up filing for divorce. And after she 
filed for divorce, she would allow the cops to search the home. The search of the Fox Hollow Farm was conducted while Herb was on vacation. And the remains of 11 men. 11? 11 men were found. And out of those 11 men, eight of whom were identified. Oh, so you want to know a fun fact? Yeah, what do you got? So in 1994, Herb's 13-year-old son had been playing in the backyard of their home when he would find a partial human skeleton in which, obviously, as the kid would, he would run to his mom. He So he would run to Juliana and tell her all about it. Like, hey, mom, look, I found this, you know, human skeleton bone. But um, I actually don't know if the kid knew if it was human skeleton. But obviously, you know, he found a bone. He would go and tell his mom. So Juliana would confront Herb about the bones. And get this, Herb stated to her that they were his father's, that his father was a anesthesiologist. So he told her that his father used to conduct his research in the property. And one day while he was cleaning out the garage, he had found skeletons like his like that his father would experiment on. Mm-hmm. And Herb just decided, hey, it's okay. Let's just go bury it in the backyard. So, Yeah, it's a common thing. Right. You know, so fun fact for you. So give me, wait a second. So this is 1994. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Juliana, again, did not find that odd. Right? What I really wonder no, is no, she No, no, no. She believed him. No, no. She believed him. She... But you know what I'm saying? Like now, 1996, whoa, 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 whoa. the police is after him asking, hey, we think your husband is responsible she... for this. No, she Can didn't. No, she didn't. She did not believe. So she believed her husband when her husband told her that those bones weren't his, that they were, you know, his father's and he had used them to experiment for his job. She just stuck with the story. Yeah, the it wasn't. It wasn't until she filed for divorce that, you know, her behavior started getting just weirder and weirder. And then at that point is when she started connecting the dots. And that's why at that point, then she allowed the cops because then something would, you know, click in her head and say, oh, wait. I do remember that one time, you know, there was like bones found in the backyard and before I really do think it was just one of those what's it called that love veil over your eyes or whatever it's that saying yeah like she like I said I read that she was she was really in love with Herb up until the end but she was really in love with Herb you know now with a warrant out for his arrest Herb ended up fleeing to Canada and he would end up committing suicide Never confessing to the murders of the men found in his backyard. Herb was also suspected of killing nine other men that were found along the Interstate 70. And I have to tell you another fun fact. Do you want to know a fun fact? Yeah, there we go. So after all these murders and, you know, the bodies were found in the backyard of his home, Fox Hollow Farm 
is known to be one of the most haunted places. So a lot of um, paranormal shows have gone. Um, one of them being Paranormal Witness and the other one being Ghost Adventures. Oh, wow. I love that show. Yeah. I mean, it's not oh, surprising yeah, me with all the... Zach Bagan's my boyfriend. Shout out. He's not really my boyfriend, but I pretend in my dreams. Yeah, Fun fact. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it is, it is known to be very haunted. Oh, and it's known and it's said... I can't remember during one of these shows, it said that when you, like when you're inside the house, when you look out the window to the backyard, it's been reported that you'll see a figure of a man walking across the window, like in the backyard, wearing a red sweater. Look at this. Hmm. The entity or person or whatever you want to call it has no legs. It's just like a... It's just like the, the torso. The torso. Wow. And then it just disappears. No, and that's it was creepy. and I've seen it on the show, like they report it, I think it's like by two different people, like in these paranormal shows. Mm-hmm. Where like they've said that they've reported this like and so multiple of, witnesses like, have yes, reported of, like, that. A red like a, a a male figure wearing a red sweater and then they, they notice, they just happen to notice that there's no legs, it's just the torso. And then it just disappears off into the woods. So, no, 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 it's not as hard as I don't know. But, so, yeah, that's the fun fact for you. That's, an, that's a good one. It's interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, several witnesses eventually would identify Herb as the man seen leaving a bar in 1983 with Michael Riley, who was later found dead, and just like Herb's other victims, Riley was strangled to death. Now, because her Baumeister committed suicide, police may never really know exactly how many people Herb killed. However, it's been estimated that he may be responsible for as many as 20 deaths. And if that's true, this death toll makes him one of the most prolific serial killers in the history of Indiana. If you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com and make sure you follow us on Instagram at podcasttruecrimeweekly. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review and subscribe onto Apple Podcasts. The only way that people find out about this podcast is through subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening.